When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Welcome to On The Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nikki Bandini. On this tale of three knockout edition, Milan back where they belong in the quarterfinals of the Champions League for the first time in over a decade. Were they saved by their goalie? Also, same old knockout for PSG in the Champions League as they come unstuck in the last 16 again. Can Mbappe ever win the biggest prize in club football if he stays in Paris? And was it the financial superiority of the Premier League that knocked out Dortmund or was it a mid-table English club what done it? Just asking... You really are on the road at the moment, on the continent, Andy. <laughs> uh, tonight, in the background, you are broadcasting, essentially, from uh, Vashava Airport. Um, and don't forget to leave a tip. Before we get on to uh, this edition's topics, is there anything that we may have missed, Andy, football-wise, on the continent? Well, I don't know if anyone's missed it because um, the chaps on Ramble Reacts were talking about Scott Parker and his uh, gilet suit combo uh, in Lisbon earlier in the week. Rather controversial. Um, but if, if you're going to go out, you've got to go out with a bang. And of course, after they lost uh, 5-1 to um, Benfica, uh, 7-1 on aggregate, he was fired from the Club Brugge job with the shortest statement that you've ever seen. It simply said, Scott, Scott Parker is no longer the coach of Club Brugge. That was the club statement, which is uh, fair enough. I, I have to say, I, I think it was a weird appointment. But on the other hand, um, a, a lot didn't go for him. Um, he had to oversee the departure on loan of uh, Rude Forma, one of uh, the club legends, uh, to Zorta Vardagem. Uh, he had a really, really difficult programme when he came in um, of fixtures and very little time to, to, to work with the players. And it showed because he wasn't really able to impose any style on the team and... Of course, that, that, they were really second best against Benfica, but you know they were up against a really, really good side that I, I don't think many people want to draw in the quarterfinals. Yeah, the shortest dismissal notes in football is going to be hard to beat, Nicky. Anything that we may have missed from your perspective? I, well, people won't have missed it if they follow me on Twitter, but I just I thought there was a, a really sort of wonderful video put out by Lega Serie who I'm often critical, and I think with justification of how Serie handles its marketing but they, they did just a, a really simple minute long video from before uh, Roma's game against Juventus at the weekend of they obviously just mic'd up the stadium in such a way that you could hear the the 
the fans especially and not so much what's happening on the pitch but it's like a a sort of pre match moment with you know the cameras cutting to what's happening on the pitch cutting to Mourinho in the dugout cutting to Allegri on the bench but then cutting back to and hearing the pre-game anthem the inno Roma Roma and my venditti at at, at um, the Stadio Olimpico and I, I know Andy can vouch for this it's one of those iconically Italian experiences to be at the Olimpico for that anthem lots of Italian clubs have their anthems I, I do think Roma Roma hits different to some of them and that feeling before kickoff before a big game at the Olympico I think is right up there with with you'll never walk alone at Anfield I think it's it's one of the really special world football experiences and I think they captured it as well as you probably can in a minute-long Twitter video so if they have, people haven't seen that they should check it out and then they should go buy a ticket to go see a team go see Roma now because frankly every game is selling out right now because of Jose Mourinho they need to employ you uh, to do their <laughs> sales, mate, because uh, you sold it to me. I said, I can't wait to get there. Um, on to the other big topics tonight. We have to start with Milan. And what a week for them, Nicky. Uh, we will come on to what a week it's been for Antonio Conte also. But let's start with Milan, with this question from Michael on Twitter. Are they back? <laughs> It's a great question because, of course, they are still not really in the Champions League places right now for next season. They're, they're joint fourth with, with Roma. The, 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 tie, the head-to-head tiebreaker is currently unsettled because they drew the first game one all. So they're very much in a scrap to get back in the Champions League next season. This has not been a, a plain sailing kind of season. But it's Milan and they're back in the, the Champions League quarterfinals. And I, I've been really sort of wrestling with this thought um guys because look none of us here are that young so we remember Milan as what they have been this great European team and that is the identity of Milan Milan have seen themselves as the European team in Italy Juventus have been for a long time the dominant domestic side they're the team that wins the most domestic titles Milan's a whole sense of itself in the Silvio Berlusconi ownership era was, okay, you know, we might want win Serie A quite as often as Juventus. We win it plenty, but we don't win as much as them. But nobody wins in Europe like we do. It's us and Real Madrid. And that's what really matters. We're the worldwide club. We're the ones who go out and conquer the world and, and represent Italy on the world stage. And and a whole generation of fans, so I made that point about the, the age thing it's a whole generation of fans who doesn't know that Milan now they they haven't they hadn't won the league for 11 years and they hadn't played in the European quarterfinal for 11 years and they're not suddenly back to those glory glory days this team is not the team um that that, that swaggers to to the Champions League final with Shevchenko up front or Van Basten or even Pippo Inzaghi Kakat this is not that team but as a sort of return to uh, a sense of grounding for Milan in who they are and who they want to be. You've got Paolo Maldini back in the director's box as of 2018. And then you've got Stefan Appioli leading this young group back somewhere that as a club, they they think they're supposed to be and they feel like they belong. And, and I think that moment is is really, really meaningful for them. They might well be the worst team that ends up in the quarterfinals. We'll see. But they're in the quarterfinals and and that's a big stepping stone. I think that sense of history is really important, actually, because, um, you know, you often wonder if it weighs on, like, what's globally quite a, 
young group of players. I mean, you know, people will look at Giroud, etc. But the, the rest of the team is is, is very young. Um, and you can see them growing. I mean, they played pretty well in the Champions League last season and didn't get out of the group stages. But it seems like they learned a lot from that in terms of game management at, at this sort of level. The, the other thing I, wa- I wanted to say is, in, in terms of that history thing, I, I went to... Um, uh, I went to Milan Juventus at San Siro about three or four years ago and um, it was when Higuain was playing for Milan and um, basically there was a huge uh, choreo um, uh, on one of the curvers and it was saying pretty much what you said like uh, this was when Milan were out of of, of Europe when they hadn't been in the Champions League for a while um, saying to Juventus um, look you, you may be on top now but we're the Dons in Europe so ha and um, uh, making making the most of their latest defeat in the in, in the Champions League, so it, it is it is a big deal. But it's, it's weird looking at how this season's going to end because, particularly with that Lazio win at, at Napoli last weekend, it makes everything from two to five really condensed. So obviously, Roma have kind of kicked Juventus to the curb a little bit by beating them last Sunday, and it was huge for them. But what we know is taking Juventus totally out of the picture. Those teams, two to five, one really good team is going to miss out on Champions League this season, right? Yeah, absolutely. The the Italian title race is, is long done, as everyone who listens to this show will know. And, and Napoli, yes, they finally lost at the weekend to, to Lazio, but they're still 15 points clear. But the the top four is... is incredibly intense um you've got both Rome clubs making a, a real case for themselves for the the first time in it's, it's two decades since they've both been in the Champions League together um and and that's sort of a, a thrilling sub sub narrative all of its own I mentioned the atmosphere at Roma and and Mourinho and the impact he's had there but Maurizio Sarri is I think connected to the Lazio fan base in almost as as, as powerful a way and and is doing fantastic work there um Obviously, Inter are currently in, in second spot and and probably of all of those teams, the one who I look at their squad and think, well, you absolutely should be qualifying for the Champions League. And Milan, as you say, Andy, they are a young team still. I think when we talk about this Champions League quarterfinal, I want to sort of remind everybody, um, because this came up on a radio interview I did yesterday when they were saying, oh, I think that one of the hosts was saying, oh, you know, Milan, they've got the European know-how. They don't. I mean, six six players in the starting eleven yesterday had never played a Champions League game before last season. So they are still a team of of uh, of kids. They've got, um, uh, I think, the six younger starting 11s in Serie A this season, which is not quite as alert as it was last season, but still, it's, it's really um, not an old group. Um, and it is sort of reliant on Giroud to give some of that leadership, especially since Ibrahimovic is well, he finally did get back on on the pitch um, recently, but but he's no longer the presence that he was. Um, and I think what's actually really fascinating in that context to bring it back to this tie is where you do find the leaders in this team. And um, and I know Dotton already sort of mentioned it in the intro. For me, Mike Maignan's return, the leadership impact, the 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 increase in sort of comfort and composure at the back of this team is transformative with him there I think a completely different look to that back line when he's there 
it's amazing. You've mentioned this before, but Mike Mannion, but I certainly saw it in this match. It, he arguably was the match winner of a of a you know a nil nil draw. And we will come on to Antonio Conte, like I said in a moment, because that's a, perhaps an important piece of the narrative. But why has it taken? You kind of touched on it, Nikki, but I don't think you quite nailed why it's taken Milan a decade. To, to, to get back to this stage in the Champions League, the quarterfinals. You're absolutely right what you said about their legacy. You know, a decade, that's a long time for a team that was on, in our minds, certainly in my generation, slightly older than yours, in our minds in the 60s and 70s when we knew very little about the European Cup until Manchester United won, of course. Yeah, it, it comes down to to, I guess... Heaps and heaps of, of of small decisions and 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 chapters and moments that happened along the way. I think there was a sort of steady decline under Berlusconi at the end, where he was no longer able to fund to bankroll this extraordinary team that he had for so many years, and and his ability to do that gradually waned off. And then there was the looking for a buyer period, and then there was a mess of of different ownership and 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 different leadership and I think it's sort of really indicative one of the things I always come back to is Paolo Maldini was offered director's jobs at Milan several times before he took it and he took it under um, Elliott management which is you know a hedge fund that looked to make money off the club and did make money off the club by, by sort of buying it owning it and then moving it on to Redbird Capital but nevertheless was able to sort of convince him in that period that we've got a serious project and sometimes cynical financial motivation of wanting to make money encourages you to make good football decisions because those things can go hand in hand and I think it's only in this sort of most recent chapter perhaps that Milan have come to terms with who they are now which is something that all of Italian football has to do now which has come to terms with the fact that we are not the richest league we do not have the resources to go toe-to-toe with the Premier League but hey have a look at this season you can still beat their clubs if you do it right um and uh and and cut your cloth accordingly and, and make sensible decisions. Milan are, as we've touched on, here because of a youth movement. They're not here because they've got millions and or hundreds of millions spent to get here. They're here because they've got smart recruitment of young players. They've hired a manager whose greatest strength is nurturing those young players, and they've accepted when they can't um break their bank to keep players. I mean, of course. Donnarumma, the player of the tournament at the Euros, gone and into his um, shoes steps Mike Mannion, who turns out to be even better. Um, but you could even look at this last summer and say saying goodbye to Frank Kessier was not an easy thing to do. They would have loved to keep him, but they couldn't break their budget to, to get him there. And they've managed to weather it. And I think that's perhaps a lesson that in some ways was taught to Italian football by Atalanta of all teams. Look, you can still succeed while being different you just got to do it the right way and, and maybe Milan have learned some of those lessons as well. I think that's the interesting thing, how they've been brave, I think, on and off the pitch. I, I mean, in, in this game at, at, at Tottenham and, you know, I, th- I thought it was interesting. We'll come to Conte in a minute, as Dotton was saying, but um, how he afterwards lent into the Milan cliche. Someone who knows Italian football as intimately as him said, oh, well, look, they've got this incredible history in, in the competition. What do you expect? I think what Tottenham fans may be expected is to play with a little bit of bravery. I, th- I think if you look at the way that, um, in very different ways, Mignon, uh, Tomori, Brahim Diaz and um, Rafael Leao in the, in, the, in the way that they carried the ball, 
I don't think they really cared that they hadn't been there before. You know, they just applied themselves. You know, you know realistically, on, on, on paper, the Tottenham are one of the 10 richest clubs in the world. You know, it, sh- it shouldn't really be a question. But the, the, the appetite they showed, the hunger. And when you were talking about Mania, I mean, you know, we've, we've, we've had to have a word beforehand so we don't talk about him for the entire pod <laughs> because I also love him. But, um, I mean, we we're talking about the guy who's going to succeed, Hugo Lloris, um, in, in the France team. And he showed the Tottenham fans why last night because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think the fact that he was like, largely idle for a lot of the game, probably a lot less busy than he would have expected, but he did everything very tidily and then made that key save from Harry Kane right at the end. I mean, that shows that he's not just... He's, he's, he's not just a good goalkeeper. He's not just a good shot stopper. He's someone who's got incredible concentration and he can stay in the game yeah. even when it's, he's removed from it for a lot of it. It's really not just the saves for me. I, I think the saves are almost the, 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 the least of it with Mike Mania. Not that he isn't very good at making those saves because he is. And, and in the end, he had to make one crucial save at the end of the game and he made it. And and I don't think every keeper would. It was a tough one down by his feet. Um, I, I think his command of that penalty area is so drastically different to Tatarujanu. It's such a different experience. When a cross goes in, the number of crosses he just claimed without making a fuss that wouldn't have been claimed before. And and the message that then transmits to a, a, a central, well, a, a three-player um, back line that's made up of Tamori, Kalulu and Chow. Tamori's the elder statesman in that group at 25 years old. Um, the, the sort of the maturity um that the whole defence showed in this game, I thought was was really impressive. But I think having that certainty of, of Manyan behind you is is a big part of it. And then on top of that, Andy, the distribution I think is the bit that people don't necessarily think about with goalkeepers, but I think is is so fundamental to all goalkeepers now. You see with Manyan immediately, he plays higher than Tatarishanu. He plays in the sweeper-keeper style. And I think that pushes the whole team higher. It was noticeable to me that that even in the first half of this game, Milan had a much higher line than they did in the first leg, which is surprising when you think they're winning. They're not the team that needed to chase a goal. Um, And I think that's part of it. And then the speed of his decision-making with that distribution. There was a moment which I feel like I'm now just repeating to anyone who listened to me because it didn't matter in the game in the end. But there's a moment in the... I think the second minute of injury time in the first half when a cross comes into the box and it's not a particularly threatening cross and Manyan claims it and you've got 30 seconds maybe left to go in injury time and I think that it would have been perfectly fine and normal just to hold the ball and that's the end of the half but he doesn't he grabs it and immediately launches it overarm out to, to the wing and Milan get a chance out of it not not a, a scoring chance sorry but an attack out of it the attack breaks down the cross isn't good enough it doesn't happen but there was an attack there that wouldn't have happened without Mike Mannion in goal. And if you do that enough times, some of those attacks come good. And I think that's the difference that he makes. It's those those percentages he adds to you every time by giving you more of those breaks, more of those opportunities to, to go somewhere with the ball. The the post-match story from the British uh, newspaper perspective was, where to now for Antonio Conte? Uh, that is the right question, maybe, from our perspective, even as on the continent. But our listeners in Britain will want to know that. How, how does this match impact on what he decide, or if he hasn't already decided what to do, Nikki? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm reading between the lines 
with my answer here, but I think listening to the things he said since coming back from his gallbladder surgery, looking at his body language, his demeanour, the way he is, I, I think Antonio Conte is, is ready for a break, honestly. And I think some of that is is down to is down to real life, right? To take a step away from football for a moment. He's lost three people that he was close to to cancer in the last year. Ventrone, obviously, especially his close collaborator and the fitness coach who who I, I think has meant so much to him um, as on an individual level. Um, then Luca Viali, who he was also close to, Snisa Mihailovic, and and then undergoing his own surgery, gallbladder surgery. To me, his his whole persona looks so sort of beat down at the moment. And I think on a human level, that's really understandable. And and I, I think it will be absolutely my expectation that if this Tottenham chapter comes to an end, um, as we expected to at the end of the season, if not before, I, I don't think he'll rush to get into another job. I think he'll take a break. Um, and he's done that before. He's not actually someone who needs to be working all the time. I think you'll see him say, actually, I, I want to prioritise some other things in my life. Yeah, I, th- I think all that's very fair to say. Um, uh, and I, I think you have to sympathise on a, on a human level with what he's been through. I, I think as well, though, we have to say that Tottenham have been like largely below par all, all season. Um, the performances have been poor. The football's been really poor. And it's not just not aesthetically pleasing. The football has is, is, is genuinely been poor. And that was the culmination of that, really, in, in, in this game against Milan, where they just couldn't muster any intensity at all in, in a game that they really needed to win against a team that, as you say, a club that have a great history, but a team that they should be able to, to beat. I, I do have some sympathy with him because I just don't think the click's there between him and Tottenham. It was always a bit of a weird fit. And, of course, Conte's a winner. He's a great coach. But I think, you know, when people say, you know, would, I don't, I don't know, would Pep Guardiola be able to do it with Stockport County? Maybe we're getting like a mini, mini, mini version of, of, of that in a way. Because the way Conte goes in and he's, he's a whirlwind, um, he, he demands change and he, he gets it. I'm not sure if that is actually possible in, in a Premier League context. I mean, they've, they've tried to give him what, what he's wanted. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You know, they went the full way to get Pedro Porro in, for example. He made a bit of a difference when he came on. But I think really, in terms of the sort of extent of change he would want, the ex- extent of squad pruning he would want, I don't think he could do that in a Premier League context because the budgets are so high, it's far harder to ditch unwanted players and to bring everyone in it's just prohibitively expensive unless you're Manchester City who they're competing against theoretically I don't mean to defend Tottenham's performances with everything I just said about Conte and and real life I think you can separate those two things out Tottenham were abysmal across these two ties and 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 such a disappointment I think it was really sort of illuminating to bring it back to the, the initial conversation about um, Milan and, and how they've got to this point of not being a, a force in European football anymore. You know, before kickoff, um, there were, they were taking Italian journalists, the, the, the Milan directors around um, Tottenham Stadium to show off, um, this is what we want to do. We want to have our own stadium. We need to step into this future and have all this financial possibility. And I think from the Italian side, everyone's sort of looking at Tottenham and going, and you have all of this financial possibility and, and that's the best you can do as a football team. You know, it's 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 sort of striking, I think, um, the, the perspectives on this and, and, and how underwhelming Tottenham were across two legs. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If I had an extra hour in the day, I might catch up on the latest football news, take a lovely walk with my dog Sammy, or maybe interview someone using an orange peel and a broken iPhone. You know, normal journalism stuff. But it's not always easy to prioritise our time, and that's where therapy can be an extra helping hand. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ramble. Let's go from Tottenham to PSG because arguably uh, the fans of Bayern could be looking at PSG and say, you've got all those big stars and that's the best you can do? Come on, guys. Is it time for PSG to clear the decks and start again? This project of French Galacticos isn't working. Andy? No, it's not. And um, talking of Galacticos, I love the cover of Marca today, where it had a picture of a, a rather cheesed-off-looking Kylian Mbappe from the game in Munich, and it said, um, if, if, you want, if you want to win the Champions League, now you know where to go. <laughs> Meaning, like, you, you ain't ever going to do it at, at Paris. And, um, you know, look what you could have won. And I don't think, as we've said on um, OTC before in in, in previous weeks, that um, a revival of the possibility of Mbappe going to Madrid is is, is off the table by any stretch of the imagination. But, I I mean, we we said before how, and I've, I've said before extensively, how I think it's impossible really for them to win the Champions League with this front three of... Uh, Mbappe, Messi, and, um, and Neymar, of, of, of course, because they're, not, they're just not good enough off the ball. Having said that, they were without Neymar, and yet the fit of the midfield was still a little bit clunky last night. And um, I think because accommodating that three has 
made it difficult to put out a, a Champions League winning midfield. I, I think it's, it's, it's made it tough. It's made it tough, even though he's been excellent in recent weeks for, for Fabian Ruiz to settle. Uh, Vitinha, who obviously nearly scored in the first half after that uh, Jan, Jan Sommer error, um, he has started the season very well and then was needlessly pushed forward into the 10 and, and that sort of messed with his form. Um, and th- th- then you have Marco Verratti's performance, which I'd I- I really be interested to get your opinion on this, Nicky. But I, I thought it was interesting how um, the teenager, Bichiabu, got-, got it in the neck for that opening goal by Chupa Moting. And yet, really, it's Verratti dribbling it across his own penalty box that, that gives it away. I, I know he-, he-, he receives the ball in a less than ideal area, but Verratti, who... You know, I think Verratti is a player, a midfield player, that no one in the world really can quite do what he does. But if we're talking about fulfilling and completing potential, I, I think of going back like 10 years to when he first arrived, and it is that long ago. And Carlo Ancelotti absolutely used to do his nut about Verratti dribbling across the face of his own penalty box. And he'd stand there shouting at him in Italian not to do it. And I think it's remarkable that 10 years on, Verratti is still doing that. I have such a I have such a soft spot for Marco Verratti. I can't help it. He's one of those Same. people who I, I I have had the pleasure of of, of sitting down with and and, and speaking to one on one, and and he's just got such a character that is hard not to warm to in person. That that what you sort of want to you want good things for him, and I and I think what's interesting. Um, I was just thinking as as you were talking, it was such a brave decision, at least considered at the time. To, to go and take that um, move to Paris. You know, you had a young player coming up in Italy at a time when Italian football was not at its at its peak, still isn't, but was in that sort of um, difficult phase of, of not just Milan, as we talked about, but lots of clubs hitting this realisation point of, of no longer being the swaggering forces of Europe they used to be and the money not being there and and a lot of sort of introspection and, and questions about where Italian football was going. And he, he took a, a leap and went to Paris and said, no, I'm going to go somewhere where I think I can play at the highest levels and, and push myself on. And I think that felt like such a brave decision at the time. And I, I wonder if there's been a lack of bravery in not um, moving on again at some point in staying in Paris, where it's been very comfortable in lots of ways, but he hasn't necessarily grown as much as, as he should have done. And of course, that then leads into might there be someone else who everyone's worried could stay there too long uh, a certain French uh, centre forward who might have just won the World Cup but couldn't make it happen in the Champions League yeah a lot to think about in that respect but the reason well part of the reason why we're talking about this you fill your team with matinee idols there's mm. going to be a lot of interest in, in the team, what happens to the team and uh, where their project has gone right or wrong uh, so there's a lot feedback from OTC listeners on this. This question on Twitter uh, from Seth, he says, this to you, surely, Andy. Um, So let me get my head around this. Would PSG supporting a greater redistributive model in Ligue 1 give them a better chance of winning the Champions League by ensuring that they play competitive games more regularly? Uh, That's a great question. It is, but I think there's a bit of myth attached to it because I think if you look at if you look at the the top European leagues or top continental European leagues over the last decade or so, 
Um, I think we can accept Italy from this since the Juventus um, sort of domination is, 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 is split. But when you look at, say, um, that when Juventus had their several titles in a row, when you look at Bayern and their 10 in a row, where's the league where there's an exception, where you've got a Montpellier or a Monaco or a Lille and you've got a title race this season uh, with Lens and, and, and Marseille doing their thing? It's, um, it's France. I, and I, I think it's, it's, it's something that Jean-Michel Olas, the never shuts up president of, of Lyon, um, brought up originally after QSI um, took over PSG. He went to them and he said, well, why don't you lend us Mamadou Sacco and Clement Chanson? Because now you've got loads of stars, you won't need them in your team and it will make the league more attractive. And it was easier to say back then as well because um, they were... Uh, being, being sport and thus the owners of PSG were also part owners of the league on rights so it's like if you want to preserve the value of your rights you've got to preserve the integrity of the competition this this should be the, the way you went I, I don't know if if being slash QSI really ever took that that seriously enough but I think we've seen with Bayern and how good they are in the Champions League I mean th- this is the way to frame it They've won 10 in a row and they're, they're still able to, to muster that intensity. They're still able to, to, to knock it up a level. The biggest matches still bring the best out of them domestically and, and internationally. And we saw that particularly in the, in the second half last, last night. Um, and, you know, Lewandowski may have gone, but, you know, they just find a, a different way of getting it done because they've got loads of great players and loads of huge personalities in, in, in that team. So I'm not necessarily sure that it's that. I just think at the moment, PSG, I don't think it's even they don't know what they want to be. They can't be what they want to be. And it's, it's partly because of that star model. So, um, you know, that they wanted to hand the keys to Mbappe. And it's been overcooked a bit, like with people taking it out of context and saying, well, he's basically the sporting director and all the, the, this sort of stuff, which is n- nonsense, really. But the, the, the team would move to the the rhythm of his drum makes makes better sense in, in every way, in an ideological way, in a um, cohesion way, in all of those ways. But you can't shift Neymar. And of course, Neymar is was unavailable for this um, because of his injury, um, which will keep him out for the rest of the season. It's a recurrent injury. I, th- I think it's more likely that Mbappe leaves this summer than, than Neymar. I don't see how they can shift him. Well, I'll tell you one joke, Nicky. Uh, we've got a tweet from Joe who says, does anyone agree with Danny Mills on commentary saying PSG should sell Mbappe and hire Mourinho? It seems a completely <laughs> insane idea to Jay, but it would be hilarious. I think we'd have to agree. I mean, <coughs> you know, I, I think it would be, um, as all things Mourinho... A fascinating thing to watch from the outside. Um, I um, don't think that that would make them better as a football team, no, because Kylian Mbappe is the best, one of the best players in the world. I think probably the best player in the world still. And um, no, I don't think it's a good idea. I think it would be um, something to to observe, but no, I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> See, if, if you're playing devil's advocate, you could say that if they... If they can't shift Neymar, maybe they have to move to a way of of, of working around him. 
Mm-hmm. I, I guess that's 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 the only way of of looking in, at it in that direction. But it but it is it is difficult, and I think at the moments where it's just been Messi and Neymar, you see how incredibly bleak a post Mbappe future is. Mm-hmm. I, I I think mm-hmm. it's it looks it, it looks bad, and without the financial flexibility that you're going to get with without with getting Neymar off the wage bill. You're kind of stuck anyway. Just to reiterate, he has a contract till 2027. That is very hard to get out from under, especially at that price. Let's talk about Dortmund now, who went down at Stamford Bridge, you could say, hardly without a fight, I would have thought. And Andy, it just strikes me that we were watching... Two teams at this stage of the cha- two different teams at this stage of the Champions League who are in two different leagues. Yeah, it, it did actually. I, I would agree with that, Dotton, because um, I mean, Edin Terzic, the coach of Borussia Dortmund, was very careful afterwards to say, "I don't want to talk about Chelsea's budget." And you're thinking, "We well, just did, really, didn't you?" By <laughs> on by, purpose by, by, by mentioning it. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's kind of unavoidable when you look at the options to. To Chelsea and you know Dortmund have been sensational this year 10 wins out of 10 before they got to Stamford Bridge and um, then they gave a really flat performance I was I was, I was there on Tuesday night and um, yeah that, 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 there just wasn't much energy in them and that to me said where's the depth I mean they'd lost some important players like um, no Adeyemi um, no, no Kobel their goalkeeper and we talked about we're talking about the, the gap between Mike Maignan and Tatarisanu, the confidence that gives that defence, the, the ability to distribute, all, all that sort of stuff. That's what, that's what Dortmund were lacking as, as well, I think. Um, you know, Alexander Meyer's an OK goalkeeper, but really not on the same level at all. And th- then Julian Brandt goes down in the first five minutes and you think, this is really an injury too far. You know, someone who's been in the absolute form of his life this season and it really negatively affects their ability to get up the pitch. Like, because Dortmund had more of the ball, but they played at such a glacial pace that it was, it was difficult for them to really threaten Chelsea, even quite a fragile Chelsea. But then you look at the other side of that, Chelsea who've been out of nick for a lot of this season. And then you get the flickers from Joao Felix, who I thought was pretty good. Kai Havertz, who I thought was really good, and he, he's still labouring a little bit in, in, in trying to become a centre forward. But you know, I think it's something worth persevering with. And in that context, when Chelsea are where they are, when they're still a bit dysfunctional, and yet they're able to beat Dortmund, who had, had, had their own difficulties, and you know, didn't make it easy for for Chelsea. I, th- I think it is h- kind of hard not to draw that conclusion to an extent. Nicky, um, I suppose. When you look at the two teams, it's hard to, um, from what Andy says, and he perhaps saw different or slightly more uh, profound perspective on this by being at the match, but it's hard to sort of get away from the fact when watching it on television that it looked like Dortmund were fighting a rearguard action and they were losing in that as well. Is it simply a question of now that the Premier League has pulled so far away from the rest of Europe, that you can't have teams like Dortmund standing much of a chance against what is a mid-table team in the Premier League? 
I, I think it's really tempting to build those narratives around everything. And, and I'm one of the first to always say, like, look, be realistic about it. Premier League teams should win more often than not in Europe because they've got more money. That's that's that is the reality. But I, I think it's it's easy to sort of let that sort of um bigger picture um force us into these sort of stories that that don't capture the individual scenarios. And I actually just thought this was a, a really compelling game of football. Um, with two teams that that went for it, in such a contrast to the um, to the uh, Tottenham game, I, I thought the whole atmosphere inside Stamford Bridge and Andy can speak to this part of it better than I can. But it it felt like it was electric watching it on telly. It felt like the whole place was alive and it was buzzing, and and that sort of transmitted itself to the pitch because you know again Dortmund were winning from the first leg and played quite aggressively I think perhaps took more risks than they should have done given they were one lap different approach to, to Milan who, who again as I said before did play higher up than they had in the first leg but not with that sort of tempo and and, and risk taking and I thought Graham Potter just got his his tactics bang on went, went to that back three pressed the um pressed um possession really aggressively and looked for those quick transitions and hit them very effectively and I think that sometimes we can get lost in in the big picture and, and and step away from the fact that look these were two good teams I think Dortmund showed in the first leg that they can be better than Chelsea in 90 minutes but in this game perhaps lifted by that great sort of loud atmosphere at Stamford Bridge Chelsea got the wind in their sails got those those successful um um got that press working successfully and and I think maybe got into Dortmund's heads a little bit with the noise and with the pressure and with the feeling of we're snapping your, your heels and taking the ball off you constantly. Having said all this, uh, Dortmund is still up for a chance of the double in Germany, Andy. Yeah, they are. And I, I think that's where Nicky's spot on in saying, you know, we can write a narrative around it that's not completely there because there was still not that much in it even mm. even though Dortmund didn't play that well they were still in with a chance right to the end there was the stuff with the penalty which um, was interesting applications of the law <laughs> I, I, I think we can say at the, the, the very least very literal applications of the law in, in, in many cases um, but I think for, for Dortmund to, to, to hide behind that is, is, is not fair. They could, they could have been better on the night and, and they will know that. I, I think for them, uh, getting their players back is really important. Um, they're away at Schalke this weekend. I mean, this has been a huge week for them because they were home to Leipzig last Friday, which they won. And my goodness, they had to put a lot in to win that, particularly in the in the closing stages where they really did have to fight a proper rear guard action uh, and then the Chelsea game and now they've got to go away to Schalke who are in their best form of the season surprisingly they're six matches unbeaten and they've won the last two so you know there's there's, there's a lot still to be gained from this season and I, I think if, if you look at where Dortmund were at Christmas remember they went into the winter break sixth and on two successive defeats and now they're level on points of Bayern at the top it's, it's still pretty amazing uh, and you talked about them before how they, in previous years, they'd, they'd done stuff in the Champions League. That's right, but it's, it's not been for a while. This is a team that needs to gain a form, gain an identity, which, are, are, you know, there are early signs there in the process of doing that. And then the Champions League is the next stage because that's what they did the first time under Klopp. You know, they, they won the league twice in 2011, 2012 and 2013 was the one where they went and did it in Europe. Jude Bellingham got a lot of criticism from the German fans after this match, um, was it justified? They suggesting they were suggesting anyway that he didn't show up. 
I, I think, you know, that's, that's, that's a little unfair. He's been outstanding in the whole time that he's, he's been there. He didn't have his greatest match. And funnily enough, I think Enzo Fernandez, the most expensive player in British history, British football history, let, let us remember, was a big part of that. I thought he was absolutely terrific, really energetic, snappy, um, tidy on the ball as, 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 as well. Um, so look, it, it wasn't one of Jude Bellingham's best nights, but he's, he's given Dortmund an incredible amount and he'll continue to. He's a, he's a leader. I mean, and he won't try and duck that. He won't shy away from the fact that he was, he was below par on the night. Like LL Cool J said, Mama said knock you out and we have given you a tale of three knockouts on this edition of OTC. So all that remains is uh, for Game of the Week uh, from Nikki and from Andy. I feel I feel a bit naughty with this one because I feel like it's almost so obvious to pick a Champions League game. But you know what? It is in the next week until... Um, on the continent and the game that I'm honestly looking forward to most this week is Porto against Inter obviously it's always a treat to watch Napoli in Europe but their tie against Frankfurt looks like it's pretty done Um, so this is the big question mark for me among the Italian clubs is can Inter hold on to what they got in that first leg against Porto Um, I thought they rode their luck a little bit in that game Um, I thought they definitely um, showed some vulnerabilities those vulnerabilities are still there they've got so many questions with this team about what's going to be there from week to week. Will Lautaro be good Lautaro or bad Lautaro? Will Lukaku be able to to play um, to give us those glimpses of, of what he used to be rather than what he's been lately? And and on, on the Porto side, I think they've got quite a few injuries coming into this one. So it's a tie that I think I'm most excited about in the, in the, um, the Champions League and, and seeing how it plays out. And uh, I also... No, you'll want a food pairing, and I'm going to keep it simple with. Oh, we relish it. We wait. <laughs> I, I know you're, you're, time... you always want to hear mine. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's my saying that's the most. But I relish when you come on to give us a little bit of uh, cultural uh, delicacies, and I love it. Is it going to be pizza or pasta? <laughs> neither, neither. I um, I think. For, for a, a Milanese club, and in the week that Milan won in Europe as well, let's go for a classic cotoletta milanese. Just um, traditionally, it's um, a veal cutlet, um, just bashed and bashed thin and covered in breadcrumbs. But Mum always did them with pork, so if you don't want to have veal, you can just eat them with pork or even chicken, and they're all tasting good. So yeah, have that with some little small little roasted potatoes roasted in olive oil. Yum, delicious. Yeah, that sounds good. Although David Cartledge and I will be out there doing an at the match at the drag out next week. So uh, we'll be strictly on the Francesinhas and the Bifanas. <laughs> so what would be your game of the week? Well, looking outside and seeing the snowy fields of um, at least some parts of, of, of Warsaw, I'm going to have to head straight for Andalusia. Sunday afternoon, uh, Sevilla versus Almeria. Now, Sevilla got an absolute shoeing at uh, Atletico last week. Um, I mean, when Antoine Griezmann's in that kind of form it's hard not to couple for Memphis as well on his first start for for Atletico but um, I think it was Marca said um, Sevilla defended like a team uh, their defence was not worthy of a top division team which uh, I I thought was quite a brutal way of putting it but not particularly unfair they've got a lot of injuries at the moment Um, their big defensive signing Marcao has missed most of the season and there's been a lot of speculation in in, in Seville that um, Jorge Sampaoli might actually get the push um, 
and he, he said, look, if, if, if they sack me, I'm not sure I could complain at, at the moment. You know, there's been even talk about Joaquin Caparos uh, coming back as a, a sort of firefighter. They really need a, a result out of this. Against Almeria, who, as we've seen recently, are brilliant at home, not so much on the road. Um, th- th- there is only one way for Sevilla. They have to go and, uh, and win this because it's, it's, it's super tight at the bottom. But... Um, yeah, I, 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 I think even though it's Portuguese, I'm going to have to say Francisinha for this because it's such a substantial meal. I don't think you can just have it over one match. I think maybe like half for this match and half for the, 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 the next one. I like the way you did that. Thank you. Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.